I appreciate that, Eddie. And uh, I was planning on saying this before we even get it up here. It's we're approaching on four months now uh, being here. And one thing I want you all to know is that not without the grace of God. All right. Uh, like, yes, I, I went to school. I went to Harding to get a degree in preaching, but not without the grace of God. Yes, I married Michaela, but not without the grace of God. Yes, we are here right now, but not without the grace of God. Yes, I preach, I teach, but not without the grace of God. All right. So I, I appreciate I appreciate that, Eddie. But man, that's that's all him. Right. That's all him. Uh, to, to begin the, the sermon, I, I have a question for you all. How did you all learn obedience as kids, right? I've heard many older folks talk about their, I guess you could almost say horror stories or whatever, about how they were disciplined by their parents. So maybe a quick raise of hands, if, you've, if this brings any bells, uh, go, go find yourself a switch, right? Oh yeah, that raises a lot of raise of hands, yeah. Go find yourself a switch. Maybe, maybe a, a wooden spoon, perhaps. Anybody? Yeah, a wooden spoon, a belt, yeah, uh, just a bare hand. You know, right? <laughs> now, I've never caught in a wooden spoon. I've never, you know, had to go pick a switch. Uh, I've, you know, got a belt in a hand a few times. You know, been disciplined by my parents. But let me tell you, not a single one of those I just listed were the worst forms of discipline I ever received from my parents. So let me tell you about the worst. See, there was a time when my mom, I was maybe eight at the time, she was taking me to Kohl's, if you know what Kohl's is, to go get some clothes for school. And so she was going to, she wanted to get me a pair of jeans, right? She wanted me to look nice for school, so she wanted to get me a pair of jeans. And as we were looking for jeans, if you remember at Kohl's, there was a time when sometimes pairs of jeans would come with a toy, right? And so at the time, me being eight years old, I was just focused on getting a toy, right? I was looking at the jeans with the toys, not the ones without the toys. And so I see one. I was like, Mom, I want this pair. This is the one I want. She knew, right? She knew that I only wanted that pair because of the toy. And so she drug me away, you know, to go look for a different pair of jeans. Now, that being said, um, in a moment of craftiness and admittedly thievery, I took one of the toys off the pairs of jeans and I slipped it into the one that she was going to buy me. All right? And at the time, I thought this was a good idea, okay? And so... Well, we, we check out, my, my plan works, we, we get home, I, I get the toy, and we get the jeans, and then she sees me, she sees me playing with the toy, it was a tech deck, if you know what a tech deck was, it was just a little mini skateboard, and so she sees me with the toy, and she says in probably the most stern voice I've ever heard her speak in, Aaron, that really didn't come with the jeans, now did it? And it's like, I tried to convince her, no, mom, it did, it did, I promise you this came with the, came with the jeans, and then, oh my goodness, this was the worst, she, she dragged me to the car, she put me in the car, we drove two coals, and she said, you know what, I'm going to take you to that return counter, and you're going to tell them exactly what you did, and so I'm here sobbing, crying, mom, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it, you know, crying, and she takes me to the return counter, and I tell them what I did, and I apologize, now let me tell you, that was by far the worst form of discipline I ever endured, yeah, I've been whooped, yeah, I've received, you know, the, the belt a few times, but man, that was painful, right? Painful because of the shame I felt for, for being caught, truthfully, for being caught uh, for stealing, and also the shame for breaking trust with my mom, right? So I don't know what kind of forms of discipline you've received, but here's the thing about obedience, right? Oh, I, I decided from then on to obey the command not to steal, right? But why, why do you think from then on I decided at the time as a, as a child I decided not to steal? Was it because I well, just wanted to do the right thing? 
See, at the time, it was because I just didn't want to be punished. I didn't want to feel that horrible feeling of shame. That brings me to the first point that I I want you all to put in your mind, write it down. The reason why someone obeys matters. The reason why you obey matters. And, And you see, as kids, it'll start off that way. We'll obey because we don't want to be punished. We'll obey because we don't want to feel shame. We'll obey maybe because we want a reward. It starts off that way, and that's okay. But at some point, you should want to obey. You should want to submit for a better reason, and that better reason probably being that just obeying, following God's commands is good in itself. His commands are good. That being said, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, verses 16 through 17. This will set up our our passage in Philippians. And behold, a man came to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So he's focusing on a reward, right? What, What should I do? How should I obey to receive a reward? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Notice something very important about this, uh, these two verses here. Jesus takes the emphasis off what is good and puts it on who is good. See, as a Christian, when we consider God's commandments, our our first focus should not be on the commands, it should be on God. We should first be concerned about who is good and not what is good because, quite frankly, who is good determines what is good. And so we're called to obey. We ought to obey God's commands, but the issue is we haven't. Because we could not obey God's commands, someone had to die. That someone being Jesus came down and died because of our disobedience, because of our sin. And of course, this is something that's really been held by all civilizations throughout human history, that when a wrong is done, someone has to pay for that wrong. And so Jesus, he paid for our sin debt. He paid because we were disobedient. And now I know what you may be thinking. You say, oh, yes, Aaron, I get that. I get that Jesus paid for our debt, but aren't we still called to obey in Christ? Now, the short answer is yes. For the longer answer, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll first look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, we all know obedience, for the most part, has been thought of as just following commands, following rules, right? That's what we usually think obedience is. But here's one thing I want you to know about obedience. Obedience is not just following rules. Now, the, the word here used for obey, it can also mean submit. And so what I want you to notice in these two verses is that obedience is more about who you submit to and not 
what you submit to. So again, look at verses 12 and 13. Now it helps to realize in verse 12 there are parenthetical commas, and so essentially the text inside those parenthetical commas are just a side note. So reading verses 12 or verse 12 without that, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed or submitted, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think this submission, do you think this obedience Paul refers to here is just talking about obedience to commands? Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's the opposite of willing and working for God's good pleasure? Disobedience. It is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, this submission, this obedience Paul is talking about here is not just, oh, I'm doing the right things, I'm I'm following God's commands, I'm following the rules. No, no, no. This is about who you submit to and not what you submit to. You see, true obedience is submitting to God so that he can work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now notice something else in these verses. This kind of submission, it's tied to salvation. As he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As you've always obeyed, work out your own salvation. So this kind of submission, submitting to God, is tied to salvation. Salvation in a few senses. Salvation in the sense that eventually we'll be in the presence of God in eternity. And salvation in the sense that we have salvation now. That God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, that's a part of salvation. Look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the, the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for or in accordance with obedience to Jesus Christ or submission to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. In the sanctification of the Spirit for or in accordance with obedience or submission to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling of his blood. You see, as a result of submitting, as a result of obeying Christ, we receive sanctification from the Spirit, which means we are made holy, which means we are changed. Now, if you remember several weeks ago, I highlighted this point that sanctification can be viewed as the continuation of salvation in your life. You see, this is what submitting to God brings. Submitting to God, submitting to Christ brings sanctification. It brings a change in your life. It makes you holy because God is the one who wills and works in you for his good pleasure. But in this passage in uh, Philippians chapter 2, We see there's an issue here, an issue that might threaten their submission to God. So verses 14 through 16 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that at the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in Vain. I'm sure we've all grumbled before, like when we, you know, catch a whooping from our parents. Grumbling, right? Now, this word word for grumbling has to do with secret discontent. Meaning, you have an issue with somebody, but you're keeping it a secret. 
You're not going to that person to work out whatever issue you have. And in the word for disputing here is not just a disagreement. The word translated as disputing has to do with heated disagreement. When you feel, have feelings of resentment for someone. You see, to be Christians, to submit to God, we cannot display this kind of grumbling or disputing. We cannot hold grudges and we should not be resentful to one another. Because if we are grumbling, if we are disputing like this, then we are not lights in the world. So what purpose does uh, not grumbling and disputing serve anyway? As verse 15 says, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, if you hold those kind of grudges, if you feel resentment to your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you are no different than the world. On the contrary, we're to be lights. So here's a question for you. What do lights do? Lights expel and they expose. Being lights of the world mean when we are truly a light, whatever in our life is evil, whatever is sinful, will both be expelled and exposed. But of course, to be this light, as this text says, we've got to be holding on to that word of life. That word of life. And I'm sure you know who this is in reference to. This is in reference to Jesus, holding on to Jesus. Take a look at John. John chapter 1. We all know this text pretty well. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, church, we are light. We can be light because Jesus is light. We have life well, we, we take, each breath we take is because Jesus allowed it. We can will and to work for God's good pleasure because of what was accomplished through Jesus. I want you to notice how desperately dependent you are on him. Notice how much you actually need Jesus. There was an illustration I heard recently from Francis Chan. It was in a recent sermon he preached and I'm going to steal it because it was good. Um, Essentially, he was talking about submitting and what true submission to Christ looks like. And so he used the illustration of driving a car. Right? Submitting to Christ does not look like you're throwing Jesus in the back trunk, taking him out whenever you need him, when it's convenient for you. That's not submitting Christ. That is not submitting to Christ. Nor is putting him in the back seat. That's not submission to Christ. Nor is putting him even in the passenger seat. That is not true submission. No, no, no. Jesus needs to be in the front seat, the front driver's seat, driving the car. Because we can't really drive. We can't really submit. We can't really obey God's commands. Hence, Jesus coming down, dying for us, dying, yes, to cleanse us, but dying for us, dying for us so we can be changed. It took me a long time to 
realize how much I needed Christ. I grew up thinking, I got to do the right things. I got I to say the right things. I got to do the right things. I got to pray the right way. I got to live the right way. Why? Because I thought, I thought salvation was because of what I did. I thought I could be good on my own. But man, it, it is so freeing when you finally realize, man, I cannot do this without him. Church, if you, if you learn anything from me, if you, if you take away anything from this sermon, if you take away anything from the time I preach here, take away this, how much you need Jesus. Don't get in your own head thinking you can do it on your own because you can't. Spoiler alert, you can't. I tried. So in light of your desperate need for him, submit to him. Submit to Jesus and the cleansing he provides because of the blood he shed. Submit to the spirit and the sanctification that it gives you. Submit to God. Submit to the Father who has allowed any of this to happen. Submit to him in in baptism. Be immersed into Christ. Put him on so that he can change you. If you need anything, if you need prayers, submit to whatever's going on in your life. Submit it to God in prayer. If you need anything, you can come as we stand and sing.